0: Good morning and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here and especially happy Mother's Day to my mum if you're watching this one. (laughs) My name is Nathaniel, I'm I'm part of the team here at BPCC and it's my honour and privilege to, to lead us through this powerful passage today. But first I have a question for you. Have you ever completely misunderstood a really significant situation? Uh, misunderstandings happen they're generally quite funny in hindsight Uh, one such misunderstanding which comes to mind for me happened five years ago almost almost to the day actually Uh, shortly after the game Pokemon Go was first released now uh, Pokemon Go when it came out was a really big deal I jumped on it with all my friends if you're not familiar uh, Pokemon Go is a game of Pokemon, essentially you run around in real world locations trying to access these monsters which can only be accessed when you're at certain real world points. Uh, Now one night, uh, five years ago, I I was at home and I saw that somewhere nearby was a Charizard, which at the time was one of the rarest, most powerful Pokemon in the game. And I went, I've got to get that. So I hop in my trusty VZ Commodore, start driving up the street, you know, drive up, pause, check, it's not there, cool. Drive up, pause, check, a bit closer, that's, that's good, that's good, that's good. Now, I was so engrossed in looking for this Charizard that I didn't stop to consider the fact that an old VZ Commodore slowly driving up the streets at night, stopping next to houses, continuing on again. It looks a little bit suspicious. Um, and another member of the neighbourhood did think this was quite suspicious. So as I uh, approached the park where I realised this charizard must be, uh, a big old ute pulled out from another, from another house and started following me up the street. Uh, so I, I realised it's in this park. I stop, I get out of my car, I head into the park, which retrospectively would have looked a lot like trying to jump someone's fence through the park. <laughs> and this, this ute pulls up to me, big ute, big bloke in the ute, and I get this very brusque, Oi, you're right there, mate. Now, the situation could have gotten a lot more tense, uh, probably more violent as well. Fortunately, a quick flash of my phone uh, showed him that I was just a nerd playing Pokemon, hunting something super rare. Um, The situation diffused, uh, went off, tried to catch it. Unfortunately, I did not catch it, I'm very sad to say. However, I can say that I now have nine Charizards. So win-win in the end. Now, another larger, far more significant misunderstanding is how our passage opens today. Uh, The world-transforming event of Pentecost is misunderstood, mistaken, uh, as a bunch of drunks getting a bit rowdy. And we see this misunderstanding resolved in a particularly compelling way in today's passage. Now, we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is like Jesus, the sequel. It tells the story of what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. In week one, we saw Jesus give a promise to send another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with his disciples forever. Last week, we saw the fulfillment of this promise at the day of Pentecost. Adam walked us through what happened at Pentecost and the significance of Pentecost. We, we saw the Spirit of God come upon the people of God in a powerful way. Rushing wind, tongues of fire, people speaking in other languages, uh, a powerful scene which led to the misunderstanding uh, that some people in the crowd thought these nutcases running around speaking all sorts of languages were drunk. Uh, and that's where the passage left off last week. Today, we're looking at what happened immediately afterward. Peter, the leader of the disciples, he gets up, he's filled by the Holy Spirit, uh, and he's, he speaks to this, this large crowd of people, probably in the, the large courtyard of the temple. And he preaches what is often described as one of the greatest sermons of all time, the sermon which launched the Christian church. He interprets and explains the significance of Pentecost. He explains that Jesus truly is God's promised saviour, and he called all those present to follow him. Now, that's a pretty tough act to follow. Um, Preaching on the sermon which launched the Christian church, uh, I'm a bit overwhelmed by that, me with my lack of facial hair in 24 years. So my solution is this. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Today, we're going to walk through that sermon that, that Peter preached, Uh, make some observations on the way to help us understand what he's talking about and why it is so significant for us today. Now, there are four distinct parts to this passage, which is Acts chapter 2, 14 to 41. Please keep that open in your Bibles if you have them with you or your Bible app as we walk through. Four distinct sections. Three, which explain what God has done for us through Jesus and by sending the Spirit, followed by a call to action, how we then should respond to what God has done for us. Now, the first of those areas is is the power of God. The first thing that Peter responds to is this accusation that the disciples are drunk. So he stands up to set the record straight and to explain the real significance of what is happening. He says that what was happening was actually predicted, prophesied by God through his prophets a long time ago. We read, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, Peter quotes here from Joel 2, it's an Old Testament prophet. This prophecy, written hundreds of years earlier, describes how God's spirit would one day be poured out on God's people, accompanied by a a range of miraculous signs, And this is what happens. Peter points to this to to prove that God, not alcohol, was responsible for for the events, the strange occurrences that they were seeing. Now, last week, Adam unpacked for us the meaning of Pentecost itself and, and the importance of the Holy Spirit being poured out on God's people, why that's so significant. I'm not going to repeat that, double up with him today, but if you missed it, I'd really encourage you to check it out online later on this afternoon, our church our website, bpcso.com.au, or on YouTube as well, it's, it's available for you to have a look. But in short, the Holy Spirit is God dwelling among us, God filling us with his power, uh, giving us his presence so that, that we can serve him faithfully, so we can be used by him to build his kingdom. And the Holy Spirit is given to everyone whose faith is truly in Jesus. It's generally not as dramatic as it was that first morning, though. But we all need the guidance of the Holy Spirit if we're to get anywhere in our Christian lives. Uh, Adam read a a quote by a pastor called Ray Ortland last week, which I'd love to to share again. He says, "...the Spirit of God is not a performance-enhancing drug for Olympic Christians." The Spirit of God is the indispensable necessity for any real Christianity at all. And that prophecy from Joel 2 painted this picture quite well of all people, sons, daughters, young and old men, servants, both men and women, receiving the Holy Spirit. God has poured out His Spirit on His people so that we may serve others to be witnesses to Jesus, to build God's kingdom. So the first point of Peter's sermon tells us that Pentecost wasn't unexpected or random. It was promised many early, many many years earlier by God. It means we've received God's power to carry out God's mission. But the prophecy doesn't just speak about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Uh, verses 19 to 21 quote a part of that prophecy which points to what comes next. To the end of the world, to the end of time... There's some serious apocalyptic language happening there, uh, and it all is driving home verse 21, and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if I was there hearing that, this, this gripping thing, this crazy science happening, I would want to find out more about this Lord and, and how to call on his name. And that that prophecy, it's not just true of the people listening to Peter then. The prophecy doesn't say, and all people in Jerusalem at this point in the first century, it says, All people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's us too. So who is this Lord? How do we call on his name? What does it mean to be saved? Well, that's what Peter moves on to next, the plan of God. Now, Peter has proven that the people are seeing a powerful work of God, not a bunch of drunks getting rowdy. Now he moves on to the events which they had seen, many of those people had seen and been part of five weeks earlier. From verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You know that feeling when someone says, told you so, and they were right? Uh, It's it's a pretty bad feeling, makes you feel a bit silly. Imagine being one of those residents of Jerusalem in, in the audience there, listening to Peter and realizing Last month, they had literally screamed for the blood of the Savior of the world. That that would make you feel beyond silly. That would make you feel probably deep shame. But Peter shows that Jesus' death was part of God's plan, it happened with God's foreknowledge. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do, and he went to the cross willingly. For us, for his people. He, he saw these events, we, we saw these events in, in our last series, The Week That Changed the World, which you can also go back and check out online if you missed it. And it wasn't only Jesus' death which God had planned. When Jesus was crucified and buried, evil rejoiced thinking that it had won. But then God pulled the greatest comeback of world history. Jesus defeated death, he rose from the grave And Peter points to a prophecy written by David, which said that this would happen. Uh, From verse 25, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have, made me, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, that's a quote from Psalm 16, which is pointing forward to the resurrection of Jesus. And it's interesting, isn't it, that at, in this sermon at Pentecost, with the Holy Spirit being poured out, Peter touches on the Holy Spirit, mentions the Holy Spirit, says what's happening, and then moves straight on to Jesus. He, he makes this sermon all about Jesus. Because... It's through Jesus that, that God has made the Holy Spirit possible to poured out on us. It's it's about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's work is all about pointing us towards Jesus, and this this pouring out of the Holy Spirit is an event which was meant to focus everybody there on Jesus, because Jesus' death and resurrection is the reason why the Spirit and this closeness with God that we have is possible. The Spirit is with us to to grow us to be more like Jesus, to to use us to point others to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's work is about pointing to Jesus. And that's why we talk about Jesus a lot more than we talk about the Holy Spirit. Theologian J.I. Packer, he calls this the floodlight ministry of the Holy Spirit. A floodlight isn't there to draw attention to itself. A floodlight lights up something else so that it can be seen and appreciated. In the same way, the Holy Spirit lights up Jesus, points to Jesus so that he can be seen and he can be appreciated and he can be believed. And that's why Peter now zooms straight onto the, the death and resurrection of Jesus in his sermon, because that was the plan of God so that we could be saved. It's the focus of the Spirit's ministry to point people towards Jesus. And so the question now is, how does this happen? How, how, how are we pointed to Jesus? Where, and where is Jesus? All the crowd at, at the time had, many of them had seen Jesus in the months or even years earlier. So where is he now? What's, what's he doing? This is what Peter speaks to next in, in the third section of his sermon the presence of God. Now, many people in the crowd would have assumed that the Psalms quoted by Peter were not about Jesus, but that they were about David, you know, the one who wrote them. But Peter shows that they could only be about Jesus. We're now at verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So these prophecies, they can't be about David, because they talk about someone who's defeated death. And as Peter astutely observes, David had been dead and buried for almost a millennia by then. In fact, his tomb was was right over there. Uh, A a monument actually exists in the traditional location of of the tomb of David in modern-day Jerusalem, even. It's simple enough logic. The bloke's over there. He's been dead for a long time, obviously hasn't defeated death. So... Peter then brings in another prophecy which can't be about David. Uh, That final quote there was Psalm 110 verse 1. It speaks about a Lord being placed at the right hand of another Lord. And Peter states that this is about Jesus, seated at the right hand of God. Because the significance of Jesus doesn't end at the resurrection, as if being raised from the dead, defeating death itself wasn't a big enough deal No, Jesus has been raised even higher. He has been placed at the right hand of God. This is why the crowd who had seen and heard Jesus in the months earlier couldn't see him that day. And that's why we also can't physically see Jesus here today. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, who, remember, is as fully God as Jesus is, was given to Jesus' followers, was poured out, And that same Spirit is available to us today. The Holy Spirit provides the constant presence of God. The Spirit enables and equips us to share the good news of Jesus. Now, that normally isn't as dramatic as it was that first morning. But His presence is just as real this morning. Jesus, Peter, started off defending the group of Christians from the misunderstanding that they were drunk. And he has not only done that, but he has proclaimed the greatest news of all time, that they were in reality filled with the Holy Spirit who was poured out through the work of Jesus. Jesus, who had defeated death itself and who was now seated with God in heaven, ready to return when his enemies were defeated. So now comes the question, Jesus seems like a pretty great guy. This seems like some pretty good news. How do I get on his side? How how do I get in on this incredible good news? What do I do now? How can we respond to this? That's a great question for both the crowd then and for us today. And fortunately, that's the question which the people ask and which Peter gives a clear answer to. In his final part of this sermon, the call to action. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, Peter's reply is quite simple, and the response is immediate. He calls the people to repent and to bring their wrongdoing to God for forgiveness and to accept the sign of baptism, which is given to God's people. And then he makes this interesting statement there in verse 39. Did you catch that? This promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. It's almost like Peter pops out of the Bible text and looks through time and and speaks to us saying, this is for you. This promise is for you. Now, Peter, of course, was bound by time. He's a bloke just like us. But the Holy Spirit who inspired him is the same Spirit who inspired Luke to record these words, and he's the same Spirit who is alive in us today. He is God, and he is outside of time, and he does call us directly to do the same. He call, God calls us by the Spirit to accept the promises which Jesus has earned for us, to repent, to turn away from rebellion against God, and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, an outward sign of our inclusion in the people of God. So is that true of you? Have have you accepted those promises? If yes, then be encouraged. This, This is an awesome opportunity to appreciate how incredible the good news of Jesus is, how vast the love of God is, How amazing it is that the Holy Spirit dwells in and with each and every one of us whose faith is in Jesus. Look at the excitement of this first sermon which launched the Christian church. Look at the incredible good news of Jesus who truly is God's promised saviour and pause to think about that reality that God's Holy Spirit dwells in you. That, That same spirit is alive in us today. And let's take that, let's take that to to strengthen our Christian walk, to to rely on God each and every moment of each and every day, and then to live a life which points other people to Jesus. That through us, the Holy Holy Spirit will be a floodlight showing the goodness of our Savior. And maybe you're still unsure. Maybe you haven't made that decision. Maybe you're not quite ready to go all in in following Jesus. If that's you, then God does call to you today through the Holy Spirit. Maybe today is the day for you to repent, for you to turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Maybe today is the day that you will be raised to to new life in Jesus. Maybe today is that time. Maybe today is the time to start investigating. Maybe today is the time to start talking to someone. Maybe today is the time to talk to God. Wherever you're at, uh, in your Christian journey or before that journey, we are here to follow Jesus with you together. So you can chat to a Christian friend. You can chat to one of our team here at at church. Uh, We would love to hear from you. There's going to be some of us over at the prayer corner after the service as well. Uh, We would love to pray for you. We'd love to talk to God together. And you don't need us. You can talk to God any time. He is always there. He is always listening. He is always caring. And he always has. You can talk to him any time. And you can pick up his word and hear from his word any time as well.